It's I needed caffeine, Tracy. I didn't have any because I was afraid it would keep me up. I know it's going to keep me up, but I'm awake now, so yeah. Okay, good. Good. We'll milk it for all we can for the next hour. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about gaming in public spaces and gaming for people who aren't necessarily in your group, gaming for strangers, gaming for children, gaming someplace that isn't your house, whether it be a library or a game store or things like that, with kind of an eye towards the future. And we'll speculate on what that may look and feel like when we get a chance to get back in person. And as always, I'm Steve. I'm Mark. I'm Andrew. I'm Tracy. And you see, there's Tracy. We didn't, you know, save her for another part after this. We just let her just slide on in there because this is what, episode three that you've been on? I believe so, yes. So I, I think by that point, you just become part of the rotation as we say hello. So on the next time this happens, I won't even acknowledge it at all. Okay. Ta-da. Okay. All right. So Tracy's had more experience than the rest of us on running games with people who are not hers. So she's run some games at, I believe, the local library. Public library. Correct. Mm -hmm. I participated in games at the game store, but I you've never ran any of those guys. Right. So you've been in two spaces that are what we would consider public, you know. You know, outside of your home, mm -hmm. you know, one of which you've participated in, one of which you have run. And right now, we don't have the ability to do that. No, we do not. No, we're not spending that time with, with other humans. But it wasn't, it was 10 months ago, a year ago. It's been almost that long now. Yep. You know, come next month... That'll be kind of where I mark the pandemic as really affecting where I went and who I was around. So it's been almost a year. And we kind of have a little light at the end of the tunnel that maybe we've got a little bit of that interaction coming back. And when you were running the, these games, and they were mostly for, what, kids under 18, 17? Yeah, the group that I ran for was uh, 10 to 12. Okay, 10 to 12. Even better. When you were running those, when was the last one you did? How long ago now? Oh, it was in the summer before the pandemic hit. So probably September, maybe? Year and a half. Yeah. Okay. So a year, year and a half since you've done that. and. Is that something you would like to consider doing when it's okay to do it again? Oh, heck yeah. It's a ton of fun. Okay. What are some of the, and, and talking specifically about kids, if you're running something for children and they're not yours, what's something that you think of that is a particular, maybe pitfall that people who want to run that kind of game in the future need to think about as they go into it? Well, kids are going to make up their own characters. Like, 
there I mean it's I guess it's like running for anyone. You have to let the kids make up their own characters and let the story give every kid something to do. 10 to 12 year olds get antsy if they sit too long without having something to do. So you've just got to keeping their attention is maybe more difficult than keeping the attention of a group of grown-ups. But in any case, you still have to have a hook that gets them into the story and they have to feel like they're a part of the story. Okay. Hooks and participation and feeling like they belong and they're not just sitting at a table somewhere strange. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of times they'll make up personality quirks and things that they like about their character that you're going to have to integrate into your story, like on the fly. Okay. I mean, we had a chance to sit down with the kids and use one whole session to make up their characters before we started in the next session going with the story. But the, not everyone comes back in a public setting at a library setting. You might not have the same kids or all of the same kids the next week. So you have to be pretty flexible. So, Andrew, you have some younger players in one of your games, and you said that their parents are also involved, right? Yeah. Yeah, the father and son pairs. I've got two father and son pairs that have played. And at the time, that was in person? It was in person, uh-huh. I, I know, I, th I think at least, that it makes it a little easier if the parent is there or someone a little bit older to act as an anchor for someone, you know, younger... Did the, did the kids that came to play with you, had they already played with their parents or someone else, or were they new? They were relatively new. I think that one of them had played some family games with the father, where the father had DM'd. The other one, I know, was brand new to the experience. It was, it was good having the, the fathers there. I don't have any kids of my own. I'm not really, you know, known for... <laughs> for what you're warm and fuzzy i don't like hugs I, so you know that's the <laughs> I, I, I like kids when they're on the playground at a distance you know and i i can barely hear them laughing and having a good time and they're they're not in my they're not in my close space they're so not in your close space. Yeah, so having having you know parents there to kind of yeah deal with that was was pleasant. So let it be known that when Kira and Piper were about oh I don't know six and three or seven and four, Andrew and his wife came to a little birthday party that we had. And watching Andrew, tall Andrew, amongst all of the little people at little stations doing fun little kid things and running around and doing sock puppets and whatever the hell else they were doing, I found it adorable because the little kids looked at you like you were some kind of, you were a, you were a, a, a child enigma. You, they didn't know exactly what to think of you. And I remember at one point, I think you were talking to my dad, maybe. And, and I've got a picture of just little kids kind of standing around looking towards you. And, and I, I don't know. I think it's adorable. Tracy, you were going to say something. 
Well, I was getting ready to say that, yes, having the parents there can be helpful, especially if you're not used to dealing with kids and behavior issues, because we had a couple of kids in the library group that needed extra redirection. And if you don't have any experience de-escalating a hyperactive kid, it can totally derail your entire table. You have to have a few techniques to bring them down if they get too excited or give them some space if they need some space. It helps to have a little experience with kids. They're super, super fun, but sometimes they can. I guess grownups can do it, too, you know, but they can get a little out of hand. And you have to if you if your parents are there, they're probably not going to be quite as outrageous as if they're in a basement of the library with 12 other kids. So de-escalation, just as a general rule, is a helpful thing to learn. And so kind of familiarity and getting someone, getting to know someone and getting them integrated into whatever you're playing by having that first get-together episode of the adventure seems like a really great idea you said about helping them make their characters But at the same time, you also said that there are dropouts and people that come in. So how do you how do you handle that if all of a sudden there's a new kid at the table, you're three weeks in? Well, we at the library had a campaign, an online campaign with D&D Beyond. So kids could access D&D Beyond from home with their parents' computer and permission and have access to all of the making up a character things. So they had access to make their own characters. But we went through and printed off a, a ream of already generated characters so that if a kid came in that didn't already have a character or they decided in the middle of the table that they didn't want to play this character anymore, there was something there that was printed out in a familiar way that they could they could use to go forward. Just having some pregens around is pretty good. Right. It it kind of touches on, you know, one of the aspects of GMing that I know Mark really loves and that's creating, you know, this kind of I I think of it as an informational packet like this is your brochure for your adventure in blah, blah, blah. and I know that I know that as an adult, whenever I have someone who takes that kind of effort to give me that in a game, it automatically marks it as something that I'm more invested in. And so, you know, I mean, Mark, I'm, I doubt that anybody that you've given that kind of intro to has just outright ghosted you and just not come back or anything like that, right? I mean, I mean, you know, surely some people do drop out, but that's a pretty good tool for retention, right? I have never thought of it as a tool for retention, but it it might be. I don't think I've ever not done that except for maybe my first game. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I suppose I wouldn't know whether it was a good tool or not because I've never not used it. I don't know if that's the hook for him coming back or if it's me. Is it both? Is it, <laughs> you know, it's probably both. So the D&D Beyond thing is interesting. I, I hadn't thought about using that as a tool 
especially for younger players. But D&D Beyond does allow you to have the free account where you can make up to a certain number of characters, Well, and I think. Um, Darren, who what, works at the library and got me involved in the library game, the library purchased the digital files for like the player's handbook and all the other extensions. And when you join a campaign in D&D Beyond, you get access to all those features. Whereas if you just were a person who just opened an account, you couldn't necessarily access all the feats or all the backgrounds or whatever. And joining a campaign that somebody else has already purchased, the like the library has three or four sets of D&D books that kids can use at the table because the basement room we were in had terrible Wi-Fi and it was really hard to access their D&D Beyond characters from the basement. So we had the books on the table too. But the the Beyond program let them and their parents work on it, print it out, have a copy of it ready, and have access to some of the information that you wouldn't just get if you were not a subscriber. Hmm. I know that Frank over on Roleplay Geeks had purchased that particular license in D&D Beyond when we were starting up 5th edition, and it seemed like it was going to be a really great idea, but we weren't using enough of it. And I didn't I didn't know the library had done that. That's a wonderful thing to give kids that kind of access. And I think isn't it that like a I don't know, 150 bucks a year or something like that? I, I can't remember. It's it, it's not cheap. It's not just something you just, you know, go and buy on a whim. But if you want to invest and then have the ability to have people access those materials, it's kind of like Fantasy Grounds without the online, I guess, interface for running it. Andrew, have you used D&D Beyond for that purpose? I haven't. have not. Okay. You kind of had to have it for 4th edition, but it was only like, I think, five bucks a month. At least one player had to have it, just because the character builder on there was so good. Mm. It, it was fantastic. Oh, well, that's good to know. Uh, I don't I mean, know I would, for fifth, but I I actually don't know for fifth either because I use the application Fight Club for my in person D and D, which I guess doesn't matter right now. But they're there waiting for me next time I get to see someone in person. But I guess with the iOS application, you can sit around a table at you know, 12 foot increments or whatever. Here's a question. They recommend six foot, six feet worth of distance. So they're structuring classrooms in a grid with six feet between each desk. And I've, I've asked about this and nobody wanted to bite on this. I've asked about this on social media and Tracy's shaking her head. <laughs> Are you shaking your head because I'm bringing it up again or because it just... Well, nah. I'm just shaking my head because knowing children, it doesn't matter how far apart you put the desks, they're all going to be in the same space. And I don't see how six feet apart is going to make any kind of difference. But that's just my opinion. So I've never run a game for either kids or in a public forum, what are the biggest differences that someone would have to look out for that you would 
change maybe about the way you DM in those scenarios. Tracy and Andrew. Well, if you don't know your players, you're going to have to suss them out on the fly. That that's the number one thing with your friends that you're playing with. You kind of understand, you know, my group personal triggers, things they like, styles of play they enjoy. With a bunch of new people that you don't know how they like to play, you're going to have to pick up on their cues as you go through the scenario. And I have the same scenarios that I start with a new group of kids that I've run through many different times that helps it. It's easier on me to run the same scenario over and over again it frees me up from having to pay so much attention to the story i already know the story so i can pay a lot of attention to how my players respond and kind of take some notes about like okay who how can we give this person a moment to shine and how do we give this person a moment to shine so uh, a reliable story helps me get started with a new group of people Andrew, did you have to pull any Herculean efforts for the kids in your games? I think you need to be patient starting off because people are learning the rules and they're not sure what to do next. There's a lot of guidance. You know, well, this is what you need to do. These are some options for you. And so there's a little bit of hand-holding in the beginning, especially with brand new players, that you, as well as the other players at the table, need to be aware of. And typically... I don't know. It's I've always had good cooperative players that wanted to help somebody sort of learn the ropes. And I would probably recommend that complex characters, characters that have a lot of, I don't know, the more options a character have, that can be a little overwhelming for a new player. So keeping the options sort of simple, you know, for a brand new player can be good. Not that you want to limit what they can do. But you can get overwhelmed with choice or having to be creative on the fly to figure out, you know, which spell combination do I want to run or those types of things. So I would re- just give them guidance. You know, so start off. Let's start off slow and build from that. Yeah, we limited everything to the player's handbook. And we also printed out little handouts that included options like what can you do on your turn? And what little choices for them to look at. So if they got confused, they could go back to that sheet and refer to it. Also, some of them didn't know what all the dice were for. So we had little pictures of each die and what it was used for. Those little helping visual aids. And if the kid's struggling, you can point to that. You can be, let's look at the options page and see what you could do. I have played with a lot of new players, but I haven't played with any kids. And I'm wondering it, how much of a difference there is there. And also, really, like, what is the difference if you were to run a game in a public space? I mean, because I've run games with people that I don't know, but like the actual public space and how to handle that also how does the whole system work i forget what it's called like the adventure league or something where like people go to game stores and play how does that work andrew has some information on the adventure league don't you andrew you've done that i've not done the adventure league used it as a resource i've used it as a resource I've, i've gotten i've looked over some of the adventures and i've used some of those as kind of just you know borrow a little broom here borrow a, an encounter there from the from that content 
but the I you I think the DM I think the DM registers with wizards and runs a kind of a strict rules game. The whole point is that your character can then play in other adventures with the gear and equipment that they have earned in an adventures league game so that you don't end up with characters that have equipment that is beyond their level or would be overpowering for a party of their level. So a fifth level character has got appropriate fifth level gear and experience and that tra- that will translate well to another adventure that's in that system. So if you leave at the say the third level because uh, I don't know, you just can't make it for a few weeks and then you come back and they're level four. Do they level everybody up to the the highest level? Like, do you level up your character whenever you show back up? Or no, you play within a range. What do you mean? So, like, there'll be players say from level three to six in a party, and it'll vary. Yeah, yeah. All the characters they'll all be within you know two or three levels of each other, and they'll it'll specifically say on the adventure that if you're not within this range, you you're not appropriate for this adventure. You need to find another different table. There is a whole, and and I had never read up on it because I didn't have a need for it, but at, I guess it is at dnd.wizards.com, they have information about it. And it, it says the D&D Adventures League is an ongoing official campaign for Dungeons & Dragons. It uses the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons rules and features the Forgotten Realms setting. You can play a D&D Adventures League games literally everywhere. And it gives people the instructions for organizing events, finding dungeon masters, advertising your events preparing your materials, how to run, you know, tips on on GMing and showing attendees a good time. It has lists to how to find games, store and event locators. And it does look like that, you know, you are expected if you're going to be moving between one DM and another and taking your character between different games that they are level appropriate as andrew was saying that it says hey you're supposed to be between three and five or six and eight and and you show up that way it's also really cool because they have a note about online play using fantasy grounds and roll 20 within the adventures league content and that that is also available so I, I think that's fantastic. That's actually more and better than I thought it was. There's also, I think, an option where you can swap out the the if you're about to level, you can choose a not to level in exchange for maybe gold resources or a magic item kind of thing, so that you could maybe stay in the same level range as the other players. So you can actually opt not to level up. That's interesting. So, have have either has anyone here participated in any in it, has anyone here participated in any of those? I have not. Not I. Nope. Nope. And so my other question there was, what are the differences for you between running one 
for just you know friends, even if those friends are new players, versus in a public setting? Like, what are the biggest changes, do you think? The language is cleaner and the themes are more neutral in a public game than they are at my <laughs> personal family gaming table. <laughs> That's the biggest, most obvious one I thought of. I didn't know if there were any other differences, really. I know that the, the, the library here in Morgantown allows snacks and drinks and all that oh, yes. in certain rooms, which... I mean, come on, if you're not doing stuff like that while you're playing, then there's something wrong. It's amazing how big snack food has become for gamers. Yeah, if you don't have nacho cheese on your dice, then you're not gaming. Right. At some point, you need some kind of patina on your dice that is the result of food. I thought that was just like the rings on your character sheet from where you set your coffee cup down. I don't like my dice to get sticky, Steve. That's gross. I didn't say sticky. I said a patina. Patinas aren't normally sticky. The patinas start out sticky. That's how you get a patina is there's stickiness and then detritus sticks to it. Ooh, you're talking like a crusty patina. I'm talking like a, a nice change in the color of brass or bronze you know copper some oxidation that's probably mainly from finger oils finger mm -hmm. oils there you go there you go okay we're gonna have to have an episode where we share gross snacking stories related to dungeons and dragons or not but i'm sure everyone here has one i was looking at the american library association's webpage I was curious if they had anything about role-playing games. And this totally blows my mind at how mainstream this stuff is. Andrew is showing a leather satchel of sorts that has... This is my D&D &D satchel. It's got my gear in it, and it is well patinaed. It is. I have one of those as well. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It's a very it's a very attractive bag. See, leather can get a patina. Um, it's leathery. It's brown. <laughs> leather. I got a backpack. That it's works not leather. Too. You know. Well, the American Library Association has some talking points. If people want to talk about role playing games at the library. And I guess part of this is for people who work at the library so that they're armed with some information if somebody comes in and is like, why are you letting them play Dungeons and Dragons here? You know, what's the deal with that? And it's so, it's so nice. Role-playing games encourage socialization. Socialization. Sometimes words escape me. Creating a sense of camaraderie among players. Games are very inexpensive, requiring little in the way of materials, primarily a rule set, paper, pencils, and dice. Time investment for preparation is more of an issue. Since play largely exists in the imagination of its participants, a campaign is great for encouraging inventiveness and developing storytelling skills. And it's, it's amazing that, you know, the Library Association has this and they've got links for, you know, kids and teens and whatnot so that 
they can find age-appropriate things to refer people to. It's just a very different world than I expected. It's a far cry from thinking the kids are worshipping or are participating in the occult in their basement trying to summon demons and such. Right. I mean, my interest in that had zero to do with Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really true, <laughs> you know. No, the Dungeons and Dragons spells that you learn in the player's handbook aren't real spells. They don't work. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the American Library Association's got our back. See, when I was in elementary school, I was checking out books on African magic that were at our library. And I may have mentioned this another time in some other life, but they were these wonderful books that were kind of, oh, almost anthropological uh, studies of magic. And they were in the library in the small town I grew up in. And I took those damn things home. I mean, I was like in fourth and fifth grade. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. And those demons have plagued you for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when all my troubles started and I buried the rotten apple in the backyard with this guy's name carved in its skin. No, it maybe, maybe Everybody froze, I, it didn't me. work, you know, <sighs> now I'm sad. And haunted. Thanks, Andrew. Which probably means I'm the frozen one. Wanted Asmodeus to smite that bully. Didn't right. work. <laughs> that, that, is, that is exactly what I was looking for. I, it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with, you know, oh, I want someone to love me or what. It was, I really wish these people would stop being so mean. So I'm going to bury a rotten apple in the backyard. With somebody's name carved in it. I got to find that book. It also had mythological stories. And so some of those were. <sighs> you can stop barely smiling there, Andrew. And there he goes. Good. Good. He's gone. His connection crashed. Are you? The apple spell Are works. Are you poking the him on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now that it's just us, let's have. <laughs> oh. I don't know if Andrew's ready for the occult secrets, Steve. He's he's not ready. He's not ready. Yeah. He's too logical. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's too something. <laughs> Andrew has texted us. He's guessing it was his connection that dropped. <laughs> And not Steve's apple spell. Steve's apple spell. <laughs> well, lastly, let me let me text in. Eat my apple, <laughs> Dick. Your apple, Dick. <laughs> no, no, there's a comma in there. There's a comma. <laughs> That's a totally different spell. <laughs> that is not the magic I'm wanting to cast. It's a baby holding an apple. Baby on baby on That's well. Wow. This episode's been all over the place. Oh, it's, it's going to require glorious. some heavy editing, isn't it? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not. 
Oh, Andrew's internet is down. So we will have to finish the episode without him. (laughs) So, listeners, it appears that Steve has banished Andrew to the (laughs) netherworld with his Apple spell. (laughs) I've been waiting all this time. And all it took was for a friend to mock me for it to work. (laughs) That's called coincidence, Steve. You shut. Just shh, shh, shh. Let me have, let me have my magical moment. (sighs) Well, is there anything else you two would like to say? We'll wrap it up and I'll begin the editing job from hell. (laughs) Running games for strangers in public places is a great way to meet people, okay? And if you're a drama queen like me, it's a great way to be dramatic in front of strangers who it'll take them a while before they run away screaming, you know? It's pretty fun, especially kids. I love kids. They're delicious. You never have to use Apple spells on kids. No. 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 Unless they're bullies. Thanks for joining us on Game Mastery. You can always check us out on anchor.fm slash game dash mastery or follow us on Twitter at mastery underscore game, Instagram at Game Mastery Podcast, or Facebook and YouTube at Game Mastery. If you'd like to ask us a question or get some follow-up information, maybe submit a topic for the show, please email us at rpg.gamemastery at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week for more information to make your games better and to make you a better Game Master.